Welcome to another week of uh, the More Sermons on the Mount sermon series. And this morning, as we get going, have a question to ask you. Have a question to ask you, each one of you individually. You know, whether you're here in the pews this morning, maybe you're watching this later on Facebook video, maybe you're uh, streaming the message on the website, and maybe you're thinking, well, that's not unusual, preacher. We've come to expect an opening question from you at the beginning of your message time. But this morning, I have to be honest, this one's kind of a doozy. If you look at your bulletin, you look into the screen behind me, you've probably figured out what the question is. And the question is, what's your treasure? What's your treasure? What do you treasure in life? Do you treasure what's beyond? What we found in heaven? Or do you treasure something you've discovered during your travels on earth? It's uh, interesting, last week during a youth group, uh, Cody was teaching uh, the senior edge class. Uh, he asked some of our middle and high school kids this same question. And I thought to myself, this is going to end up in the message next week. You know, to many of us, even at a young age, it seems the overwhelming answer to this question, what's your treasure, is things we found on earth. Young and old alike, our treasure is often our stuff, our stuff. And let's face it, let's be honest, we're a people who like to acquire stuff. We're a people with an economy that's built on buying and selling, right? Uh, to some extent, we're even born and bred to like our treasures on earth. One online article shares the following statistic. In one year, Americans spend 10.7, not million, not billion, trillion. 10.7 trillion billion dollars shopping. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. 10.7 trillion dollars shopping. This article even broke down that dollar amount a bit. I'd like to share just a few of these top purchases with you. Out of that 10.7 trillion dollars spent, now the buying of groceries in America totaled 478 billion dollars. I suppose that's not too surprising. I've got a family of five. I probably made a dent in that somewhere. But out of that toler, uh, uh, try that again. Out of that total dollar amount, video games came to $17 billion. Video games, $17 billion. Romance novel sales totaled $10 billion. Golf balls, $500 million. That's a lot of golf balls. Dollar store purchases, this one impressed me. In one year, Americans spend $30 billion in purchases at the dollar store. So next time you're wondering, hey, you know, the word dollar is in the name, we must be saving a fortune by shopping there, you're not. You're not. And yeah, separate from this grocery total, there were other edible items which made this list. Coffee, uh, coffee I get, uh, chocolate, Soft drinks, $65 billion on soft drinks. That's a lot of corn syrup. But my point this morning is this, besides all of that, we have a lot of treasures 
on planet Earth, and we spend a lot of time and we spend a lot of money being preoccupied by them. Trillions of dollars. If you're listening to this message today, there's at least a chance that you spend part of your time, energy, not to mention money, on stuff. There's a chance that you, too, contribute to that trillions of dollars being spent in this country a year on earthly treasures. And maybe it's not been on video games. Maybe it's not golf balls. Maybe it's been real estate or cars or furniture or a wardrobe. Maybe it's been motorbikes or some other thing you can collect. As, Mer as Americans, we're blessed to live in a nation. Many of us have the means to own things, or these, these, this me these means are readily available. And there's nothing unbiblical with you owning things. There is, however, a problem with things owning you. And so continuing on in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Look with me in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Interesting what Jesus says right away here. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's stop there for a moment. Do you think maybe Jesus is saying to us, What's your treasure? What's your treasure? Is it a thing that you've piled up somewhere? Maybe in the corner of your house or, or in the garage or out in the shed? What's your treasure? Is it a thing you've, you've spent a lot of time collecting? So much that now you have to spend an equal amount of time protecting? What's your treasure? Is, is it a thing that, that's caused you to put up cameras and install security lights and maybe get an appraisal, call for an insurance quote, etc., etc.? What's your treasure? Is it something temporary? Or is it something that will last forever? You know, what if bugs, what if a fire, what if a, a, a natural disaster was a threat to this thing or someone was to break in and steal this thing or part of your collection of this thing, verse 19? What if Jesus were to come back tomorrow or to call you home today in a second's time? How would you feel about the time you've spent on this thing? Would it have all been for nothing? Read something along the lines of this. The problem with collecting stuff is this. No matter how nicely these things are put out and displayed, every novelty, every knick-knack, every tool, and every toy is someday going to go back into a box. So are we. I know all about collecting, folks. When I was four years old, you won't believe this if I tell you, someone gave me my very first vinyl record, a copy of The Muppet Silly Songs. Hard to believe that one, isn't it? This set me on a course for life, The Muppet Silly Songs. That was like the Beatles' White Album for me, you know? I know all about collecting. I know all about condition and price and outer protection and display cabinets and dehumidifiers and solid-built oak furniture. You know, I haven't maybe stashed away something that has any collectability to some people. You know, no fine china or impressive collection of guns, but I've had the record geek bugs uh, since I was a kid, so I know all about deterioration. I'm familiar, too, with thievery. 
And these are the concerns that Jesus tells his followers we will have if we are people who lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. Heard a saying once I liked, you never see a hearse with a luggage rack. And yet, we see an awful lot of people treasuring things, spending an awful lot of time on things. Jesus makes it clear where a materialist heart remains right here on earth with the stuff. One preacher writes, and I'm rephrasing a bit here. I thought this was a good one to share this with you. Have you ever met Mr. and Mrs. Thing? Mr. and Mrs. Thing have their security not on heaven high, but on things below. And you can tell, by the way, Mr. and Mrs. Thing are never satisfied with the things they have. In the morning, Mr. and Mrs. Thing rise from a, from a large, luxurious, and very expensive thing in the middle of a room. This California king-sized thing is surrounded by a large number of other things. Things to sit on, things to sit at, things to open, and things to watch. Mr. and Mrs. Thing enter another room in the house filled with more things. Things to sit around, things to cook on, things to eat from, things to eat on, all shiny and new. Things, things, things. He continues, on the way to work, Mr. and Mrs. Thing pass another room in their house. This room is filled with more things. Things to clean with and things to wash, all the things in the rest of the house. Now, there's a couple other buildings outside the house full of things. Mr. and Mrs. Thing never use these things. They don't even know what things are out in that thing. The largest room in the house of Mr. and Mrs. Thing is the room in which the Thing couple is filled up with the most things they actually use once in a while. These are things to amuse, things to give pleasure, more things to watch, things to play. And there's a smaller room on the way out of the thing house filled with more things. Things for the long, hot summers, things for the short, cold winters. It contains things for the garden outside, things for the lounge, things for the kitchen, things for the bedroom. These were things that just wouldn't fit in those rooms. Then there are things on four wheels, things on two wheels, things to put on top of the four wheels, things to put behind the four wheels, things to add to the interior of the thing with four wheels. Things, things, things. And there go Mr. and Mrs. Thing, smiling, pleased with themselves because they're leaving this big mess of things thinking about all the things they still want to cram inside today watching the big male thing to come with plenty more things for the house tomorrow comedian George Carlin once said that your house is just a place to keep your stuff while you go out and get more stuff and we laugh at this, but my friends, if, if Mr. and Mrs. Thing sounds like you, if, if you can relate to this couple this morning, you might want to listen to these words of our Lord. Because it's possible that we're, we're not, you know, not only are we wasting a whole lot of precious time and, and money in this world, we're in grave danger of being more dedicated to this world than we are to our maker. I'm not saying having things is wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't have some of these same things in your house as Mr. and Mrs. Thing have in theirs. I'm not saying don't have things. But I'm saying don't live your life for things. What's your treasure this morning? What do you treasure? 
We've talked several times throughout these, this series about those Pharisees. The ones Jesus is often speaking to, speaking about. As one commentator notes, they were greedy, they were avaricious, covetous, manipulative, and therefore, yes, they moved toward grasping more things. If we haven't noticed by now, the hypocrisy of their religion was that at the end of the day, these religious leaders and teachers of the law at the time of Christ, they were often in it for themselves. They used the position of religious influence for the purpose of lining their own pockets. And once again, Jesus is saying to us this morning, don't be like these guys. Don't let your lives be about the things you own. Let your lives be for the one who ultimately owns all things. Jesus went into the temple with a whip. He drove out the money changers who were charging excessive interest in John 2.15. And we can be assured that Jesus' attitude on religious hypocrisy and personal gain hasn't changed for us today. And yet, we have preachers on TV every week who talk about great wealth as though it were a sign of one's faithfulness to God. I love doing that voice. But meanwhile, Jesus says in Matthew 19, 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because too often, my friends, the more things we have, the more material possessions we've gathered, the more likely it is our hearts are with those things and not with God. So what's your treasure? What is it? Is it on earth? Is it in heaven? Is it temporary and fleeting? Will it last forever? Even during our short time on earth, we're going to experience the passing nature of earthly treasure. In 2014, the American Psychological Association posted their findings that even short-term materialism, quote, makes us unhappy. According to Knox College psychologist Tim Kasser, quote, the more highly people endorse materialistic values, and this is a secular source, the more highly people endorse materialistic values, the more they also experience unpleasant emotions, depression, anxiety, the more they report physical health problems, such as stomach aches and headaches, the less they experience pleasant emotions and feel satisfied with their lives. This is the world talking about the world. My friends, the things in this life are fleeting, and so are our feelings about those things. And if you've ever outgrown a box full of colored rocks or arrowheads or stamps, you know that. You can attest to that. So instead of laying up treasures on earth, how exactly does a Christ follower lay up treasures where he is? Jesus says to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How does that work? I mean, do I, am I supposed to FedEx a coffee maker into outer space or what? No? How do I get treasures in heaven? Scripture, interestingly enough, speaks about uh, varying degrees of heavenly reward for the saints. Paul speaks of various crowns in 2 Timothy 4.8. I'd like to quote Restoration author Jack Cottrell here, who writes, In Jesus' parable of the nobleman and, the, and his stewards, one steward is rewarded by being given authority over ten cities, and another by being given authority over five cities. This is in Luke 19. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, the quality of each man's work in this life will be tested with fire. The Bible says the works of some people are equated with gold, silver, and jewels. 
these pass the test and result in rewards. And we're not told in Scripture exactly how these heavenly rewards will be assigned and experienced. And of course, Cottrell concludes, and we, we, we need to remember that, that everyone who reaches heaven is saved by grace, not by our labor in the kingdom, Matthew 20. And so, brothers and sisters, although heavenly treasures have nothing to do with salvation, nothing at all to do with salvation, they do have a lot to do with goals. If our goal is serving Jesus in this life to the very end, the resources we do have will become his. Remember the old uh, credit card uh, TV jingle? You know, what's in your wallet? We might adjust that saying a little bit by saying, what are you doing with what's in your wallet? What are you doing with what's in your wallet? If we look at the early church, we see they stored up heavenly treasures by their generosity with what they'd been given, no matter how much on earth. Turn with me to Acts 2, verse 44, quickly. The Bible says this about these early Christians. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. We've heard this. Heard this a bunch. All who, were, all who believed were together and had all things in common, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is what the church looks like. Are you generous with what's in your wallet? Are you a giver as you've been given? God notices. Now Jesus says in Matthew 10, 42, and I love this verse. Anyone who gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, he will by no means lose his reward. God's in those moments, those little moments, those little opportunities you have to serve. Here's some other good news. Storing up treasures in heaven isn't limited to sharing our stuff. It includes the other resources we've been given as well. So, for example, when we return our gifts our gifts as teacher or elder or, or praise team vocalist for kingdom use, that's laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven as well. 1 Corinthians 12. Whatever God's given you, my friends, things or talents, return it to him. The Bible says you'll be blessed in heaven by your generosity on earth. And you know what? The Bible also promises that God will be faithful in spiritually rewarding the saints for the physical resources we offer back to him, Hebrews 6.10. You know, there's a whole lot of people in this world who see the glitz and the glamour of worldly treasure. We think it's, it's all here for us. Business Insider reports that self-made millionaire Steve Seabolt interviewed 1,200 of the world's wealthiest people regarding their personal philosophies on wealth and gain. Now, while the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, we don't want to leave that part out, the love of money, that's important, is the root of all evil, uh, Siebel determined the money-driven often believe, quote, poverty is the root of all evil. 
He goes on, the world class knows that while having money doesn't guarantee happiness, it makes your life easier and more enjoyable, he reasons. And while the Bible speaks of selfishness as a vice, uh, Siebel determined the money-driven often believe, quote, selfishness is a virtue. Those that have go out there and try to make themselves happy. They don't try to pretend to save the world, unquote. So we see the difference in values. The difference in values that often exist for the ones who are driven to possess what they see around them. Jesus continues in Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And Jesus is basically saying here, my followers, be sure that no matter what kind of earthly material treasure you possess, you continue to see heavenly treasure ahead of you as far more precious. Or if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be extending God's kingdom, yet you're far more interested in just building your own, what you see in this life is literally all you're going to get in the long run. All you're going to get in the long run. Rich or poor, I don't care. What drives you? What do you see as treasure, my friends? What do you see as treasure? And this goes beyond the bank book. I don't care what it is. If you're more interested in technology or football or hunting or freedom or nationalism or sex or beauty or your health or tradition or attention or family or personal safety, then you are the cross. Even the smallest portion you've been blessed with any of these things doesn't reflect the light of the Lord, but the prince of darkness. How we see these things makes all the difference. I went to the uh, eye doctor this last month, had a case of very inflamed peepers. That's not the official med uh, medicinal name for what was wrong with me, it's just what us regular folk might call it. Part of the reason for my very inflamed peepers was that they'd been strained for quite some time. You see, the, the prescription for my glasses had changed, and I was overdue in getting my eyes checked out. You know, no matter how strong our physical vision is, it's important, and, and many of us do this, some of us are better about doing it than others, it's important that we go to the optometrist, right, to have our eyes examined from time to time. We keep our eyes physically healthy. And it sounds like, from these words of Christ, no matter how strong we think, we're seeing spiritually, my friends. We need to have our spiritual eyes examined from time to time as well. How do you see the things of the world around you? Jesus gives us a little bit of a spiritual eye exam here. Matthew 6, 22. How do we view the things of this world around us? Are these tools that keep us devoted to the things of God, or are they distractions? Do they constantly fight for your attention? can't answer this question for you personally this morning. Do you remember the rich young ruler that Jesus confronts in Matthew 19? Like that rich young ruler, you and I are going to have to make a decision, each one of us, whether treasure in heaven means giving up the world or not. Maybe you're listening to this message today, and this is a tough one for you. 
Maybe like that young ruler, you too are struggling with treasures on earth. It's, it's easy to be struggling with treasures on earth. This is where we live. This is where we are right now. But it's not our home. If you're a rich young ruler, if you're a collector, if you're just a hoarder of wealth, here's another question that we might ask ourselves. Just when will you have enough? Just when do you have enough? When is your treasure collection complete? How about this example? As of May 4th, uh, 2015, the Guinness Book of World Records recognize, recognizes the largest collection of its kind to be one man's collection of Star Wars memorabilia. Now, now I like Star Wars, okay? But there is, a, there is a person on this planet that owns an estimated 300,000 Star Wars-related items. That's a lot of Darth Vader cutouts. You know, for the sci-fi fanatic, I'm sure a Star Wars collection with 300,000 items is probably an impressive chest of treasure to see. It might qualify uh, as enough stuff. But what I wonder is somewhere, somehow down the line, it's going to awful be an awful mess to try to auction off. Because we don't own things in this life. If we're striving for stuff, these things are just going to end up owning us. And this is where Jesus goes here. Look at me quickly. Uh, look with me quickly, excuse me. Verse 24. Jesus concludes our text by saying, No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Commentator Barclay reminds us that, quote, at this time, think about this, to one brought up in the ancient world, this is an incredibly vivid saying. Incredibly vivid. You can't serve God and money. That's because this word, which we've translated serve, in the original language, it literally means to be a slave to. Literally, a literal translation of Matthew 6.24 in modern language would be, no man can be a slave to two, ma to two masters, to two owners. Who or what has mastered you? Who or what has mastered you? Is it stuff? Is it the things of this world? Is it money? Or is it Jesus? You must decide. You can't have both. There's an oldie but goodie radio hit which was popularized by Tennessee Ernie Ford. Show of hands, who remembers Tennessee Ernie Ford? It's been a couple years. This is going back a ways. Uh, my daddy actually had this one on an old 45. I'm showing off my record geek bug here, by the way. You know, Once again, I told you I was preaching to the one-man choir when it comes to stuff. But Tennessee Ernie Ford had a fairly big hit in the year 1966 with a song called 16 Tons. Anyone remember that song, 16 Tons? In which he sang this. I had to, I'm on a roll with this, songs and sermons. This may continue. The chorus to 16 Tons, if you don't remember. Tennessee Ernie Ford sang, You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me, because I can't go. I hold my soul to the company store. You remember this? <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. 
forget to tip your Tony. But times have obviously changed. With $30 billion in purchases, nowadays all our work and debt is apparently going to owe us not to the company store, but to the dollar store. <laughs> My friends, may we not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. May we instead lay up for ourselves treasures in eternity. We have a Lord and a Savior, an example, a God who gave up Everything on high became nothing, gave it all for you and for me. As we heard earlier, we can only imagine what that surrendering was like. The question is, what things can we still give up for him? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. We are such a blessed people. And Lord, uh, certainly in the land in which we live, we are, we are given so much. Lord, I pray that, that in this land, I pray that in our church, I pray in our community, we would change the way we handle what you've given, what you've blessed us with. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be stewards when it's convenient. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just give back to check off on a list, but that we would give back everything. Lord, I pray, Lord, those, those areas in our lives in which we fail to, to surrender some things, whatever they may be, material possessions, the stuff of earth, Lord, work on us. We come to you, Lord, with humble hearts come to you as your church, as the people that you've called to make your name great in this place. Lord, help us represent you with all that we are in all areas of our lives. Lord, I thank you for your Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for your, your, your word. Lord, we, we return to it and, and its constant guide for us. But help us live it. Help us, Lord, not to just regard these as, as good ideas or suggestions, but truly the way to live for your people. God, we, we're so convicted and, and amazed by all that you've given up. Lord, we can only imagine the other side of glory. We can only imagine what, what you have planned for us. Help us to remember, Lord, there are far better things that await us than anything the world, anything the world wants to offer us. I thank you, Lord, for the promise of heaven.
Thank you, Lord, for the promise of an eternity spent with you. Help us be faithful to the call to pass on the word on earth. I thank you for, for, for your love and grace. I thank you for keeping us under your mercy. It is in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. All things, no matter what those things are, we have a choice every day. Will you surrender for him? He surrendered it all for you. At this point in time, we're going to offer an invitation. We're going to sing, take my life and let it be. And Brother Gerald will come forward. And if you have a decision to make, the church all begins at that Acts 2.38 moment at Pentecost. If you haven't gone down into those waters of baptism and come up a new creature, we invite you to do that. Or if you have another public decision you'd like to make with us this morning at Ferris, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. God bless you.